Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. My name's Dan, by the way, if we haven't met before. And uh, kids, I saw a few of you come in this morning. I saw Ewan and, uh, and Faith is somewhere around. Where's Faith? I saw Faith before. There she is. Hi, Faith. <laughs> um, and uh, I saw a few others, Daisy up the back and Daniel and Hilkiah's around. Uh, one day we'll have so many kids here, I pray that, that I won't be able to name everyone from the front. But right now, it's, it's a special thing, isn't it, to, to be able to say good day. And kids, um, I wonder if you've seen a pair of these before. What are they called? Rollerblades. That's right. Or roller skates. Um, now, I, I don't know, kids, do you have a pair of these? Face, do you have a pair of rollerblades? No? You and... Oh, man. Okay. When I was your age, I basically lived in my rollerblades. They were the best. Okay. Uh, Daisy, one day you're going to be old enough for a pair of these, I hope. Uh, give it another year or so. Uh, now, I'm going to show you a, a picture here, kids and everyone else. Uh, it's a picture of me in my rollerblades <laughs> at the height of fashion, uh, Hawaiian shirt. I think I was about 12 years old. And uh, don't laugh that much, Ethan. Jeez. And uh, you can see there, I'm, I'm skating around on the foundation of what would be actually our family home that we were building in Arona. So that's kind of fun. I, I basically lived in my rollerblades. Turns out so did my wife. There you go. Uh, she was probably less skilled... <laughs> than I was. <laughs> but there you go. Uh, she did say it was okay for me to use that picture, by the way. Uh, now, if you were a kid back when I was around and wearing rollerblades, um, then there was one place to be, okay? And if you're of a certain vintage, you'll understand what this place is. Froggies. Froggies. Yeah, now kids, froggies. It's like a party on wheels, basically. It's just like this, this big skating rink. Here's, here's the kind of thing that it is, okay? It's a big skating rink with... Uh, kids would just zoom around this thing. So I'd be trying to go as fast as I could. Think like ice skating, but on rollerblades instead, and so you're not cold and all of that. And if you get bored of skating, you can see in the top left, there were like pinball machines, there was air hockey, uh, arcade games, there was a lolly bar you could go and get your lollies. It was fantastic. So I, I think I had a birthday here. Anyone else go to Froggy's when they were a kid? Yeah. Uh, it, it, was, it was amazing, right? Now, kids, would you like to go to Froggy's one day, right? I know you don't have rollerblades, but we could get you a pair of rollerblades. That, that's easy. And we could get you to Froggy's. Do you think that sounds like it could be fun? Yeah, well, <laughs> there is a problem. Here's what Froggies looks like now, all right? For sale, blank land, building has fallen down. Uh, it actually closed down about 20 years ago when I was 13 or 14, something like that. And uh, the building stuck around for a little while. You might remember if you were driving through Gosford, you'd see Froggies. It looked kind of like this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that doesn't look quite so fun, does it, kids? Here's what it looks like on the inside. Some guy snuck in and he took some photos yeah, falling down, looking a bit dead. Here's Froggies, okay? Reputation of being like alive and fun and doesn't that sound great to go to, but actually dead and gone. Now, we've been going through the, the letter, uh, these seven letters that Jesus has spoken out and had written down to seven ancient churches uh, in, in, the, uh, in Asia Minor, ancient Asia Minor. Revelation 2 and 3. We've seen four of them so far. Now we're up to the fifth church, believe it or not. We're on the back end of this thing. Uh, Sardis. And I want you to hear how this letter from Jesus begins to the church in Sardis. Open up your Bible. Revelation chapter 3. It's like you'll have that much left of your Bible if you turn to it, okay? Right at the back, 
Revelation 3. If you don't have a Bible, uh, grab your phone, open it up, just search Revelation 3 in Google. I want you to hear how Jesus begins. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Who's saying this? Jesus. Jesus is saying this. And what's he say? He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being what? Alive. But you are what? Dead. Just like froggies, right? Reputation of being, hey, that sounds great. Let's go there. (laughs) But it's dead and gone. It's long gone. That's the church in Sardis. A reputation for for having spiritual life, for being spiritually vibrant. But actually, there's, there's nothing there. Something died along the way. Now, how does a church get like that? Well, there are a million and one Christian books out there that claim to know the answer. Right? You can go down to Cornerstone, you can go to Kurong, wherever you want to go, and pick up a book off the shelf. It'll tell you what the answer is. It'll say, they didn't have the right programs. You've got to do this and this and this. Or... They relied too much on programs. They, they were doing this and this when they should have just kept it simple. Simple church, right? Or they'll say they didn't focus enough on evangelism. Or they focused too much on evangelism. They didn't focus enough on caring for the community. They focused too much on caring for the community. Round and round it goes and there's all these answers that are out there and contradictory and all of that. We could have a really long conversation about how churches end up this way. But I think there's a bigger conversation for us to have this morning. Because churches are made up of individuals, aren't they? Individuals who, like, if you're a member of this church and you've you've signed that covenant, you've said, here I am, my hand's in the middle, then churches made up of members are full of individuals who appear to know Jesus and who appear to believe the gospel and who appear to be living out a walk with Jesus Christ. But appearances, well, sometimes they tell the right story, don't they? Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't. And I bet when I describe the church at Sardis, some of us here this morning are going, yep, that's me. When I look in the mirror, yep, everyone thinks I'm spiritually alive. I'm going well with Jesus. But actually, something has died along the way. Like maybe, for example, you've been in this pattern, and you know, you've been in this pattern of like spiritual slippage. You know what I mean? You've just been like drifting. You've been coasting. You look back and you can sort of say, well, There was a time where I loved the Lord and and the gospel was really like alive and real for me and I had joy in God and I was deep in the scriptures in prayer, but that was, that's history, man. Like that died with froggies. Uh, Now, it's not that. I'm, I'm just sort of drifting. I'm just sort of coasting. And this happens. Even to people who once actually looked spiritually alive. Something in them can die. I actually heard quite a sad story over the last week or so. Uh, There's an acquaintance I used to know, a guy I used to hang out with here and there. Uh, He's just started saying that he's no longer a Christian. Uh, A guy who's about my age, um, he's been part of a good church, really good church. He's led Bible studies, he's been involved in youth ministry, he's been doing like school scripture stuff. A guy that you look at, you go, yeah, you know, doing really well, but, but now he's as it appears, walked away from Jesus. He was dating a Christian girl, like a really nice Christian girl, a couple of, couple of years ago. Now, what happened to him? Well, I think what happened was life didn't go the way that he thought that it would. Like, he, he lost the girl, 
And that happens. Sometimes dating relationships don't work out. And then his career didn't quite pan out the way that he thought. And I think what happened for him is he blamed God for it. God, how could you let this happen to me? I thought that if I, you know, was walking with you and, and was trusting you, that things would work out differently to this. And I don't think to myself, what a fool. I mean, he is. The fool says in his heart, there is no God, right? But I, the bigger thing I think to myself is, wow, that's just the power of disappointment, isn't it? And we all face disappointment. I mean, give me a bit of feedback on this. Has life gone exactly the way that you wanted it to? No. <laughs> Some of you are shaking your heads more vigorously than others. <laughs> yeah, life does not always go the way we want it. In fact, sometimes it goes the total opposite to the way we want it. And the risk in that time is that we end up blaming God. Maybe not with our words. Maybe we never even say it to him. But something deep inside is saying, God, how could you let this happen to me? And I think that my friend sat with that for a good while. He was still at church. He was still at Bible study. He was still serving, all of that. And everyone thought, this is looking great. But, but inside of him, something was dying. He looked spiritually alive, but he was spiritually dying. And now we're just seeing sort of the fruit of that as he walks away. This can happen to anyone, friends. It happens to plenty of people. In fact, the older I get, and I'm only 35, can't imagine if you're double, triple my age, the older I get, the more I see this in people that I know, people that I grew up with. You know what I mean? Now, this is the church at Sardis, but the good news is Jesus doesn't leave them without help. He tells them exactly what they need to do to resuscitate their dying faith. Would you like to know how to do it? He gives them five commands, five things to do, five steps that they must take to get this faith that's about to die and nurture it back to life. And we all need to hear this, friends. You need to hear it either because you're currently struggling, you're like, I'm like the church in Sardis, or because one day you may well be. Disappointment comes for us all. And so let's pray, and then we'll dig in and we'll hear these five things, five steps to take. Lord God, uh, thank you for your word that you, you diagnose what's happening in our hearts, in our souls. We just even recognize that last week, Lord Jesus, we heard that you're the one with eyes of blazing fire. You're the one who searches minds and hearts and nothing takes you by surprise. You know exactly where we're at this morning, each and every one of us. You know exactly what we need to hear. And so I pray by your spirit and through your word, you might apply to us each what we need to hear from you. Lord, we ask not only as the one who evaluates us and knows what's going on and diagnoses the problem, uh, we pray that you would also be the great physician who brings healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so say this summer, you're by the pool with the kids or the grandkids or the nephews or whatever, and the unthinkable happens, and you need to do this. You've got to do CPR, you've got to bring resuscitation, whatever. What steps do you need to take before you give CPR? Well, there's an acronym. You know the acronym? D-R-A-B-C uh, stands for, what is it? Uh, look for danger. Look for a response, is it? Uh, check airways, check breathing, check circulation. Now, if you do that, you'll be ready to do CPR, right? Wrong, <laughs> because they've added another letter. Did you know this? Doctors, 
A, B, C, S for seek help. So if you do that, you'll be right. Right? No. <laughs> There's a D. <laughs> They've added another letter. So it's doctors A, B, C, D, defibrillator, uh, which I hope you've got a defibrillator by your pool, but not too close, because if you do, then you'll be like disobeying the first one, which is danger. <laughs> Electricity and water don't mix. So, but there you go. You follow these steps and you'll be able to give someone CPR and give them the best chance of surviving and being resuscitated. That's kind of what Jesus is giving us in verses 2 and 3. He's giving us, here's the steps to take to resuscitate dying faith. And here's the first one. You ready? Verse 2, take a look. What's he say? He says, wake up. Wake up. If you've been spiritually asleep, wake up. Now, the original word here in Greek also means pay attention. Okay, Wake up, pay attention. So it's not just like someone's had a bit of a kiff in the late summer afternoon or something. It's, it's that they've sort of fallen asleep on the job, right? They should have been vigilant. They should have been watching. And now he's saying, uh, come to your senses. Look out. Wake up. And I want you to think spiritually, this person, they're the sort of person I was describing before that's just kind of let things slide, let things coast. Like, I know I've got this sin to deal with in my life, but I'll, I'll deal with it later. Or I know I've got this big question about Christianity, this doubt that I've been, it's just been niggling at my mind, and I'll, I'll deal with it later. Uh, you know, there's just been this slippage that's been happening over time. And Jesus says, come to your senses, don't leave it to the later basket. This thing is killing you. You are anything but fine. You are anything but safe. And the church at Sardis, did you know, would have probably felt quite embarrassed when they heard these words from Jesus. Because in their history, there was something that happened that involved falling asleep on the job. Let me show you a picture. Uh, this here is one of the hills that's sort of in the region of, of ancient Sardis. And can you see up in the top left corner there, there's sort of like this crumbling stone structure? Uh, back in the day, uh, this would have been called the Acropolis, this, this sort of walled, fortified area up on the hill. And what people would do is if there was an invasion on Sardis, and there were a number of these, they would retreat into the Acropolis, right? Because if an invader comes, what have they got to do? They've got to scale that massive mountain, and then they've got to get over a wall in order to try and take your town. So good luck, right? That's not happening. Now, at some point in the, I think it was the 500s BC, uh, the Persian army came and they wanted to take Sardis. They put it to a 14-day siege. Imagine that. Two weeks of just trying to get through this wall, and it was impossible. They couldn't do it. In fact, there was a saying. It was like to... Uh, to scale the walls of Sardis, I think it was, is like our version of to climb Mount Everest. It's, it's to do the impossible. But in this siege, believe it or not, the impossible happened. Here's what happened. The, the Persian soldiers were watching up on the wall and suddenly one of them sees one of the, the guards of Sardis. He leans forward and his helmet falls off and ding, 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 clatters down the wall. Then they see him disappear for a moment. He emerges from a secret entrance at the bottom of the wall grabs his helmet, closes the secret entrance, goes back up. And the, the soldier there is just like, huh, okay. <laughs> so that night, while they're all asleep, guess what he does? Takes a few guys, goes in the secret entrance, goes and opens the city gates, all the Persians come in. They take the city overnight while the people of Sardis sleep. Now, 
You would think that they would learn from that, wouldn't you? The same thing happened 300 years later. 300 years later, there's, there's vultures that uh, another invading army are, are, are watching. The vultures are like roosting over this section of wall and they're thinking, wow, that, that must be unguarded because otherwise the vultures would be flying away. So they do the same thing. That night, 15 of them go through, they scale that part of the wall, they go, yep, no guards, fantastic. They open the city gates, through it comes, another invasion. So imagine then, if you will, that the, the people of Sardis, they hear these words, wake up, and they start to feel a little bit embarrassed. Yeah. Like, how could we fall for this again? It's written in our history. These are the stories that we tell our kids, right? And this time, it wasn't a Persian soldier that came in through the entrance and opened the gate and, and made the walls fall. It was sin. Sin broke in while we were sleeping while we weren't watching, while we weren't checking for how we were actually going with Jesus. We just let things slide. We put it in the later basket and we fell. And so Jesus actually warns them. Jump down to verse 3, halfway through. Notice where it says, wake up there again. If you will not wake up, he says, if you don't wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I'll come against you. In other words, wake up now because you don't know when Jesus is coming back. You don't know when your time is done. Right? So take stock of things now. Be honest with yourself. Friend, if you aren't keeping watch over your walk with Jesus, then you are not safe. Because why does someone fall into sin? Right? I've been pastoring here at this church now for about 12 years. And I've been in plenty of conversations with people over time, and they're good conversations, conversations where someone says, I blew it. Okay? I actually, uh, it's an honour for me to be part of a conversation like that because someone is now being honest. They're bringing sin into the light, and God says that's where healing comes, right? That's where fellowship comes, First John chapter 1. That's a great conversation to be a part of. Uh, but, but this person says, I blew it. And, and why? Why did they blow it? You know what's one of the biggest reasons that people give? They say, I should have seen the warning signs. I should have seen it coming. Right? Or some variation of that. I wasn't paying attention. I ignored what was happening. I didn't guard my heart. Guard it from what? Guard it from flirtation at the office with that person who thought I was kind of cute. Right? Guard it from the root of bitterness sort of taking root inside of me. That person I know I should have forgiven because Jesus has forgiven me. He's shown grace to me. I should show grace to them. Uh, but I, I don't and I hold back from them. Uh, I didn't guard from gossip. I just let things kind of fly from my mouth, right? Uh, and there was that slow drift into busyness and away from reading the scriptures and praying and gathering together and serving. I didn't watch out. I just slept, walked through the whole thing. And that's how I fell into sin. I've had that conversation over and over and over with people. And Jesus says, wake up. Don't let things simply slide. Wake up. Take stock. Be honest. And he says, if you do that, then you can move on to step two. First, you've got to wake up. Be honest. See what's happening. But then step two is strengthen. What's it say? Strengthen what? Verse two. Strengthen what? What's it say? Remains. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Now, just notice something here. He's not saying it's already dead. Right? You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 4, there's that sort of contrast between someone who's dead in sin, 
dead and gone and slave to sin under the wrath of God. And then on the other hand, someone who's been made alive in Christ. They received God's grace and they're a new person, right? Dead or alive. And Jesus is saying, you're not, you're not in this category right now. You're not the dead in sin person, but something is dying. It is about to die, right? It's like it's right here on the cusp. It is, it is in the ambulance on the way to the ER. And unless you apply significant treatment right now, it's going to die. That's what he's saying. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Notice the active language there. Strengthen. It's not wait upon God to do something. You need to do something. What do we need to do? Strengthen it. And here's the question. In your life, is there something in your walk with Jesus that's on the brink of dying? Something that you need to strengthen before your faith is totally gone. I'll give you a few examples. Right? Maybe you look back over your walk as a Christian, you know, 20, 30, 40 plus years, and you, you, you just ask yourself the question, have I actually really grown? Have I actually intentionally gone forward in my walk with Jesus? Because you could be 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years old. Spiritually, you're still a teenager. You know what I mean? Like there was a point where, where you were growing in the faith, but then you just sort of stopped and started coasting. And it sounds like, you know, hey, I, I think I've read the Bible enough now. I get it. I'm done. Or it sounds like I've done my time praying. God knows my heart. He knows what I want. He knows what people need around me. I don't need to keep praying anymore. Right? I've, I've been to church plenty of times. It's all the same anyway. Why bother keep going? Jesus says, wake up. You are about to die. Strengthen what remains before it's too late. Another example. Maybe there's a pattern of sin that you've let into your life. And we've been talking about this for like the last month, right? Basically, every church that Jesus writes to in the ancient world, these seven letters, struggles with this issue. There's some habit that's crept in. They've opened the door and let sin into their life. And maybe for you, uh, like you know, when you involve yourself in this sinful pattern, God is there and the Holy Spirit's in you. And, and he's giving you all that you need in order to say no to this sin. Right? There is no temptation that sees you except that which is common to man. God always provides the way out, so flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Okay? Um, but, but you're there and you're in the moment and, and you're saying no to God. You should be saying no to sin. But you're saying no to God. And, and kind of you've done that enough times now that it's like your muscles in saying no to God have gotten stronger than your muscles in saying no to sin. Do you know what I mean? Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Stop strengthening this thing, strengthen this, the thing that says uh, that, that God's grace teaches you to say no to ungodliness, Titus 2, right? Strengthen what remains before you've got no strength left. It might not be a particular sin. It might just be, like I said, that you've drifted. You've drifted. And maybe the fruit of that in your life is just that you feel kind of listless. 
You know, if you want a medical diagnosis, sometimes we talk about this as depression. The French have a word for it, ennui. It's just like this sense of life isn't really worth much. And maybe you look back and you sort of go, I used to get up in the morning and I was passionate and, and I'm, I'm connected with what I'm doing in life. And I'm even going, I'm here to glorify God, right? I'm here to glorify God in my work, in my rest, in my relationships, my friendships with all of my time. I'm passionate, let's go. And you're listening to John Piper and you can hear him going like, God is, is all about you having joy in him. And you're like, yes, that's me. But then somewhere along the way, it just turned into eight sleep and repeat, right? Mix in some TV and some video games, watching sport. They're all okay things, but life just feels humdrum. And, and these screens, like the TV screen, the phone screen, whatever, it sucks you in because it feels like your life sucks. You're listless. Jesus says, wake up. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. He says, I've actually come to give you great purpose in your life, the purpose of glorifying God. You were created, saved, and you are being sanctified to make much of God and enjoy Him forever. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. And this is active language, like I said, because think about any relationship, okay? Think about marriage. I'm married to Sky. Um, what do I need to do in order for my marriage to fall apart? Nothing. Nothing. If I do nothing, it'll die, <laughs> right? Any relationship is like that. A relationship with Jesus is like that. It requires input from us. Strengthen what remains while the chance remains. Now, how do we do that? How do we go about strengthening faith in our lives? Well, those are the next three commands. You notice here I put a little line like that, flat line and the little heartbeat thing. That's because Jesus then goes on and gives us three more words or three more commands that unpack what it is like to wake up and strengthen what remains. Okay, So here's kind of, it's, it's command number three, but it's step one in terms of strengthening your faith. Here it is. Remember. Remember. Take a look in verse 3. Remember then what you received and heard. Remember something specific. Not just remember the good old days. We all love to remember the good old days. right? I love to remember froggies. We all love to remember the good old days. Remember when Billy Graham came to town? Remember when people came in droves to Jesus? Remember when all the kids went off to Sunday school? Remember when we had good family values? I'm sorry to say, just like froggies, the good old days are dead and gone. And Jesus doesn't mean for us to return to them. He has something he's doing right now. And he doesn't say, remember the good old days and return to them. He says, remember something else. What is it? Remember what you received. Now, often when the New Testament uses that word, received, it's like a code word for something specific. There is, there is something, a message, a message about Jesus 
that has been, like, it's to do with what the apostles saw, the witnesses of Jesus saw, uh, and then they passed it on to the early church who received it, and they've passed it on down to us through the scriptures, and we've received it. So whenever you see this word received across the New Testament, it's referring to this particular message that's been passed down. And I want to give you something. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Turn there with me if you could. 1 Corinthians 15, it's just after Romans. If you hit the Gospels, you've gone too far back. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, this is a passage which theologians and historians believe uh, is an ancient Christian creed, right? You know what a creed is? It's like something that Christians would say together. They'd memorize it, rehearse it, and they'd say it as like a, here's our statement of faith kind of thing. They believe that this creed was probably written within a handful of years of Jesus' death and resurrection. Maybe a decade, maybe a decade and a half. So we're talking like the AD 30s or 40s. Now, historically, that's amazing. These words were written not just in the same generation that Jesus came and lived and died. They were written within years, okay? And I want you to notice here, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For what I received. Here's the message. Here's the thing that I'm passing down. What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is the most important thing you need to hear. It's that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Everything went according to God's plan. And he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Which, by the way, is not the sense of Sardis falling asleep. This is, they physically died. Remember what you've received. This is what you've received. The life-changing, world-changing message of Jesus having died and risen for you. This is the gospel, right? That's what Jesus is calling us to remember. It's the gospel. Now, think about the city of Sardis. I'll tell you something interesting. The first time that they heard the gospel, it would have blown their mind. Here's why. Just outside the city gates is a temple, a half-finished temple. Uh, this is like a half-destroyed temple because, you know, time does that. But at one point it was half-finished and, and it would have been marvellous to see. In fact, um, historians believe that if the temple was finished, it would have been one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Okay? And this was a temple to Artemis, uh, sort of a, a local god who was the god of fertility, or so it was thought. And so people would come to this temple from Sardis, they'd walk out the gate, and they would make a sacrifice to Artemis, the goddess of fertility. And they would think, you know, if I make this sacrifice, then um, uh, God, this god Artemis, she will make my crops grow, fertility. Uh, or she would make my wife conceive and give us a boy or a girl or whatever we're looking for. All right? Bring the sacrifice and the god will bless you. The message of Christianity is totally the opposite to that. So imagine the first time they hear that, no, 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 you don't bring a sacrifice to God. God himself came to earth. God the Son was the sacrifice. He sacrificed himself for you. 
And now you don't have to do something. You merely have to receive the benefits of what Christ has done for you by faith, by trusting in him. And he's not just going to bless your crops, give you a son or a daughter. He's going to give you eternal life. Imagine the first time they heard that. That would have been (laughs) mind-blowing. That would have been world-changing. When was the first time you heard the gospel? What did it do for you when you first believed it? Remember, says the Lord Jesus, go back to the basics. Jesus died for your sin. He died for sinners who were dead in sin. He took the judgment of God in your place, the judgment you and I deserve for having rebelled against God. He took it upon himself and then he was buried and then he rose on the third day, rose to new life. And now all of those who trust in the Lord Jesus, they have died with him and been raised to new life. You are not dead. You are alive. That's what the gospel does. And if that's you, then Jesus says, remember what you've received. Remember the gospel. Remember who you are, friends. You are not any longer a slave to sin. You are not any longer bound for judgment. You are not any longer mired in a meaningless life. You are a child of the living God. You are forgiven, free and new. You are bound for eternity with God and his people. You are not dead, but alive. That's the gospel we need to remember. And not just as a one-time deal. Not just at one moment when Billy Graham came to town or I was at that youth rally or whatever. It's receive it. And then the fourth word, keep it. Do you see that there in verse 3? Remember what you received and heard. Keep it. As in, pay attention to it. Hold on to it. Don't give it away. Don't grab something else. Hold on to this gospel and nothing else. See, the key to resuscitating a dying faith isn't to learn something new. We're obsessed in Western culture with the new, aren't we? Like, check out this new phone. Did you see that new movie? Have you heard the new song? Right, we're all about the new. And it's tempting to think that spiritual life will grow from some kind of new soil. Like, I just need to shake things up, right? I need to go to a new church because this one's holding me back. I need to uh, find a new teaching because this one's gotten repetitive. I need to find a new method of spiritual growth because scripture and prayer and fellowship, they're just not cutting it for me anymore. New, new, new. Jesus says, no, it's not about the new. It's about going back to the basics, back to what you've already received and heard. Grab that and keep that. Because if you, if you just go to the new thing all the time, you'll be like a rat in a wheel. You've seen a little rat in one of those little wheelie things? Yeah. You'll, you'll be spending all this energy and you'll be going nowhere. right? Jesus says, no. The key to resuscitating a dying faith isn't to learn something new. It's to go back to the basics of the gospel. Think about someone who's been in a car accident, right? And it's affected the use of their legs. And the the doctor has said, you know, um, uh, 
you're going to be okay, but you're going to need some physio. You're going to need to work to like re-engage those muscles and strengthen them again and da-da-da-da-da. Now, that sounds like a lot of hard work, doesn't it? It is, says Kerry-Ann, maybe with experience, yeah. Um, so, so wouldn't it be easier if we just did something new? Like, wouldn't it be easier if, if maybe I just learned to walk on my hands or something like that? That'll go well, won't it? No. <laughs> no, the, the, person, the person needs to learn to re-engage those muscles and put one foot in front of the other again. They just need to learn to do what they used to do before. Go back to the basics, one foot in front of the other. The reason we go back to the gospel is that the gospel's enough. It's enough, friends. Jesus' death and resurrection, his death for you, his life for you, and all the benefits that come from his death and life for you, that flow to you by faith, is enough. It's enough to save you. It's enough to cleanse you. It's enough to grow you. It's enough to adopt you as a child of God. It's enough to give you a God-ordained purpose for your life, to glorify him. It's enough to satisfy you. It's enough to change you. It's enough to bring you home. The gospel's enough. And so if I'm doing my job as a preacher, by the way, I'm going to be very repetitive. <laughs> like, I know it's all exciting at the moment because I'm a bit of a different voice every week. And, and you know, here we are, we're doing Revelation. And some of you are like, finally, you know. Uh, but the day's going to come in a couple of years where some of you, I'm sure, are going to go, Ugh, he just says the same thing over and over. Yep. I'm doing my job well if I keep reminding you that Jesus is enough and the gospel is enough and you need to just keep trusting in him and God will do all that he needs to do through the gospel in your life. Okay? Receive it and keep it. Hold it. Don't give it up for anything. And as you're holding it then, final word, repent. The gospel leads us to do one last thing. We receive it by faith. We hold on to it. Don't let anything else muscle in. Then we repent. We know what repent means. We've been talking about it for quite a while, haven't we? Chuck a Yui. You've been going towards disobedience. Oh, turn around. Start obeying God. The reason that we've been hearing about this over and over in these letters is because it's the normal pattern of the Christian life. It's a faith that is living is faith that repents. That's all. Now, a few of you are into basketball. Um, I'm more of a soccer guy. Uh, now, uh, recently we were playing basketball at uh, baby Daniel's first birthday. There were a group of us and Joel's sister, who's a teenager. Uh, I'm not a, a basketball guy. I need to remind you of that, okay? I'm a soccer guy. So when I lost in basketball to Joel's teenage sister, that's why... <laughs> The other blokes who are playing, they don't have an excuse why she beat them. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we're playing basketball. And one thing I do know about basketball is that when someone passes you the ball, you've got to catch it, <laughs> right? You receive it and you, you hold on to it. But is that all? No. Like, Ewan, Faith... Uh, if, if, if you're playing basketball with someone and they kind of like put it under their shirt <laughs> and, and there it is, they're saying, aha, I got it, I keep it. They're not playing basketball, are they? No, they're just, they're just holding on to it. You've got to actually then move with the ball, you dribble, you shoot, you pass it to someone else. That's what the gospel should do in our life as well. We receive it, we, we hold on to it, but then we, we do something with it. Okay, the, the gospel actually leads us to repent. 
bear fruit in keeping with repentance, says John the Baptist, right? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so it affects the way that we talk with our wife or our husband. It affects when I get frustrated at my kids. Well, I'm not going to let things come out of my mouth that shouldn't, right? I'm going to have the Holy Spirit's help to actually change. When I do the wrong thing and I know, then I come and I confess to the Lord or I get a help from a trusted brother or sister and we begin to change by the power of the Holy Spirit, Right? It affects everything in my life. There is not one area of my life that is untouched by God that I don't turn over to him and seek to obey him in. That's repentance. There are zero points for only having heard the gospel. Okay, It has to be received, held, and then we go forward in repentance. That's the Christian life. And if you want to resuscitate dying faith, got to do it. Got to do it. There's action to take. Now, just to bring us to conclusion, if we're honest with ourselves and we see something in our faith is dying, what do we do? This is what we do. Dr. A, B, C, D. Right? Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Receive the gospel. Believe it. Keep it. Repent. In light of it. You might be thinking, it's hard. It's been so many years since I've done that. I just need some motivation. Look at verse 5. Here's your motivation, friends. The one who conquers, who does these things, right? The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Picture that for a moment. One day Jesus will return. And if this is you, he won't find you dead. He won't find you asleep. He'll find you awake. He'll find you alive. He'll dress you in white, not a stain of sin. He'll read out your name. He'll say, I died for him. I died to make her alive. He'll receive you into eternity with God and his people. You made it. So what do you need to do now to make sure that you'll be there? Have you woken up? as it were. Are you being honest about the state of your life? Are you being honest about what's going on? Maybe you need to pick up the phone and call a trusted, confidential Christian brother or sister and tell them, everyone thinks things are going fine for me, but they're not. Something's died. Here's what it is. Like I said, I've been part of lots of conversations like that. They're a good conversation to be a part of. Wake up. Are you willing to strengthen what remains while the chance still remains? Will you receive and keep and repent in light of the gospel? Maybe you're someone here this morning who is doing these things, okay? And this does mark your life as a Christian. Praise God if so. Let me give you a scripture. Colossians 2, 6-7. 
This came to mind just as we were singing that song, Grace Alone. It says this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, as you received, received the gospel, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Memorize that verse this week if you want. Keep going. God is in it, right? He'll bring you home. He'll bring you there. He'll keep you strengthening the faith. But maybe that's not you this morning and you realize that you need to take immediate corrective action this morning. If so, friends, today's the day. Don't leave it in the later basket. Okay, Today could be a great and joyful day for you. The plane was going down, but then the pilot pulled up and just pulled out of the death spiral before it crashed. Right? The car was going for the cliff, right at the edge until it swerved just out of the way. That could be you today. Right? Do you need to talk to someone? Do you need to confess this to God? Do you need to just sit and soak in the scriptures like you used to? And have the gospel wash over you again. Right? As you do these things, you will find that God strengthens your faith again. But you have to make a move. I want to give us a moment just to reflect on that now. And I'm going to lead us in prayer. So just let you close your eyes and reflect. Today's the day. It's life or death. Okay? Lord, we want to confess together that you are good. You alone are good. We have sinned and fallen short of your glory. There is no one who is good. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. They have all become worthless. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses in which we used to walk. But God has made us alive. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Lord, we praise you. Help us come back to the gospel again. Those of us who need to simply walk forward, being rooted and established in the faith, strengthened, continuing on, Lord, I pray that you would give them strength to keep hold of the gospel, keep repenting, stay awake. For those who need to make a big decision this morning, Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength to do that too. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to share in communion together.